Everybody here okay? I understand the exercise with the church militia went well. Nobody was hurt. Dave Wormley did tell me that he didn't shoot because he wanted everybody else to have a chance. Well, several of you, or some of you last week had um, mentioned to me after the class that you you uh, had some suggestions on where I could get a Bible of the one that I was disappointed that I needed replaced, and I did get one. My wife found this one online, and so I appreciate many of your comments in that regard, so I did get a new one, and I appreciate that. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1 again. Joshua chapter 1, we're going to read the first nine verses. We left off with verse number 4 last week, so we're really going to look at verses 5 through 9 today, if if we have time to look at all five of them. But Verse number 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast." There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come and study your word. We pray that it will be profitable and that it will uh, be insightful, that it will allow each of us to conform our lives more to that of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, we left off with verse number 4 and. Now, let's keep in mind that God is speaking to Joshua, verse number 1. And God promises victory over Joshua's enemies. He promises him that he will be with him uh, the same way that he was with Moses. Exodus chapter 3 records God's similar conversation with Moses. So he gives Joshua that reminder. I want to turn back to Exodus chapter 17 verses 8 through 14, I think that will 
help shed some light on how Joshua was prepared for this. So if you turn back to Exodus chapter 17. When we get to Joshua chapter 1, Joshua has been the commander of the military for probably a minimum of 40 years. Um, this, The events recorded here in chapter 17 take place right after they have left Egypt. And Joshua is already in, in charge of the, already the commander of the military. So Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And, jo- and Moses, Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. His hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek, Amalek from under heaven. Now this is the first mention in the Bible that we have of Joshua. Um, notice there in verse number 9, Moses says unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek. So, Joshua was in complete control of the military. And Moses demonstrates leadership here and humility in uh, assigning, delegating this task to Joshua. And Moses didn't let pride interfere. Moses wasn't the type that always had to get the recognition for everything. He recognized, as many of us do, that, you know, sometimes other people are better suited for a particular task than ourselves. And, again, sometimes pride gets in the way of, you know, of us acknowledging that. And, you know, we we can go to uh, the incident with David and Saul, of course, where we know that Saul was outraged and extremely jealous of the recognition that David received as a result of uh, his victory in battle. But Moses, you know, there's no indication that there's any of those problems. And we, we never find any indication in Scripture where, where Joshua is insubordinate, where he is unfaithful, where he is not the, the faithful servant that he's supposed to be. He, you know, notice there in verse uh, verse number 12, or, I'm sorry, verse number 10. And so, so Joshua did as Moses had asked him. He was a faithful servant. And, you know, faithful servants submit to those over them. Joseph submitted to Pharaoh. Joshua, again, was faithful to Moses. Uh, David submitted to Saul, even though it wasn't appreciated by Saul. And then in verse number 13, we see that Joshua discomfited or led them to victory over Amalek. So he was successful in his endeavors. And then, in uh, verse number 14, Moses was told to write it down, but he was also told to rehearse it or recite it to Joshua. And so, 
this, again, keep in mind, this is about 40 years prior to Joshua chapter 1. Do you think Joshua knew or even suspected at this point that God was preparing him for taking the, the helm 40 years later? You think he, obviously God knew whether or not Joshua or Moses knew it or even suspected it, but I don't know, you think Joshua knew that God was preparing him in this way? He may eventually be the successor to Moses. And, you know, I mean, not, not that there's necessarily a right or a wrong answer, but uh, I don't think we're always aware of what God has in store for us. I mean, certainly we're not always aware of what God has in store for us. Many times we're not aware of it. And, um, you know, you may find yourself in circumstances today where you may be asking yourself, that question, what is, what is God having me do this for? Why am I in the position that I'm in? What, what is God preparing me for? And you may not find out until 20, 30, or 40 years later. But, uh, you know, it's good for us to keep that in mind that God is, is preparing us for things. You know, if we're going through a difficult time, that's, now that should aid us later on. We can look back and see that God has carried us through and He has prepared us for things. I was on the deacon board in a church when I was in my early 20s, a church that had severe financial problems and all kinds of other problems. And I can remember thinking, what, what, have, you know, what am I doing? Why, you know, why did God put me in this position? But now, 25 years later, I can look back and I can say, yeah, I learned a lot of valuable lessons. You know, I, like Pastor said Wednesday night, you know, a lot of you know, a lot of examples that we look at are, are examples of what to do, but a lot of examples of things that we, we look at are examples of what not to do. And so either way, it's a learning experience. So again, uh, you can turn back to, to Joshua, but, uh, you know, Joshua may have had some inkling, some suspicion that, that you know, God was preparing him. Back to Joshua chapter 1. God had uniquely gifted Joshua to assume this role as the successor of Moses. Verse number 5 again, There shall not any man stand before, stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Now God is giving, Moses, or God is giving Joshua great encouragement here. Do you think Joshua needed encouragement? Several of you are nodding. You know, when I think of Joshua, um, I think a number. I think of Numbers chapter fourteen, verse nine. You don't have to turn there, but you know, again, this is thirty-eight years earlier. Joshua is giving a, a speech. He's trying to rally the people to see the situation as he and Caleb saw the situation. Let's go in and possess the land immediately. Let's follow the Lord. Let's not be fearful of the inhabitants. And um, got part of the speech that Joshua gave to the people is he said, the Lord is with us. So here we have God reminding Joshua 38 years later that he is with him. But again, when I think of Joshua, I think of the, the man who was 
you know, in some ways didn't necessarily need reminded. You know, he ex- exhibited great faith in that incident when he came back from spying out the land with the good report. But on the other hand, then I think of a guy like Elijah, who, you know, witnessed the miracle of God and, um, you know, uh, went from a mountaintop experience to a valley experience with the, with the uh, calling down of fire to consume the sacrifice and having the 450 prophets of Baal slain. And then, you know, literally Jezebel is just days later in pursuit of him and wanting to kill him for that very reason, for having the, the prophets of Baal slain. And, and then Elijah falls into the depths of despair. You know, even though he's just witnessed God coming through and he's also given a great speech to the people about how great and mighty God is. And yet he falls into that trap of, of uh, you know, doubt and discouragement. And I think we all struggle with that to some extent. You know, we all struggle with witnessing the, the hand of God and then yet forgetting about the hand of God or, or having doubt about whether God's going to come through. So, I mean, yeah, God is giving Joshua great encouragement here. Um, he probably, you know, he probably needed it. Also, the task is different. Uh, he's certainly not a stranger to a position of leadership, having been the commander of the military, but now this is a little bit different of a position. This is assuming the position that Moses held, and Moses was held in extremely high regard, and Joshua knows firsthand all of the uh, rebellion that Moses had to tolerate, a lot of the resistance that we have recorded in Scripture that the people put up against the leadership of Moses. And so Joshua could easily be thinking, I'm going to have to deal with that same thing. People are going to be opposed to me the same way they were opposed to Moses. So yeah, that would have weighed heavily on him. So he would have been in need of encouragement for that. Here in this verse, God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Um, and that's true. God will not, will never leave us. He takes people from us. He took Moses away, who Joshua had relied on. I'm sure Joshua was in, in one sense in a comfort zone for those 40 years. He says, I've got my set of responsibilities. I'm the commander of the military. I know how to, I know how to, you know, command the military. But Moses, you've got your job and you do your job. And so now, you know, now he's being getting a new assignment. And so, but God is not going to leave him. God's giving him that encouragement that he's going to be there. Second Timothy 4.16 is a little bit discouraging. Paul says, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. So Paul experienced firsthand that very promise that, you know, men are many times unreliable. and cannot be counted on. But God is reliable. God can be counted on. And that's what God was communicating to Joshua. And some people might think, well, um, you know, that's all well and good for someone like Joshua. He was in a position of leadership. He was uh, leading the entire nation of Israel now. And, you know, but what about me? What about in my world where I'm not maybe in a prominent position or a visible role? Well, we have the same promise. Hebrews 13.5. God tells us that He will never leave us or forsake us. It's the same promise. And He also tells us in that verse that that 
if you look at the whole verse, that God's presence is the solution to covetousness and discontentment. Many times we get our mind focused on our insecurities, and so we think we need to lay up and store big piles of money, which leads to covetousness, but it's because we're not reminding ourselves frequently enough of God's promise to be with us. God is going to see us through. And a lot of times we want the comfort of knowing that we've got some big bank account or something that's going, and Paul says, no, be content with what you have. Don't, don't, don't let covetousness consume you. God says he will never leave you nor forsake you. And again, even if in one sense Joshua didn't need these words, isn't it nice to receive encouraging words even when you don't need them? Isn't it nice sometimes to just take out your Bible and read a verse that you've already memorized and recited yourself many times and you're very familiar with? And yet you just like to read it. You like to, you like to remind yourself of it. You like to be reassured of God's promises. Verse number 6 says, Be strong and of, and of a good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So again, strength and courage are required to provide leadership, and of course in this case, particularly to rebellious people. And uh, Joshua knows what it means to make unpopular decisions. He knows what he's getting into. 38 years earlier when he came back, you know, if we, go, if we were to go back to Numbers chapter 14, when, when Joshua came back with that good report, the people wanted to stone him and Caleb. That's how much they were opposed to their good report. They were very embracing of the report of the ten, as the Bible calls them, evil spies, and said, yeah, let's rally behind them. Let's go back to Egypt where, you know, now that we think about it, it wasn't so bad. It's amazing how their perspective changes. But so Joshua, he's no stranger to making unpopular, difficult decisions. He, he knows the wrath and not only experienced by himself there 38 years earlier, but also having seen the, the opposition and the resistance that Moses had to deal with on many occasions. So he knows what he's getting into. With the exception of uh, maybe Aaron, Moses' brother, I don't, I don't think there's anybody that would have been closer to Moses than Joshua. If you read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, he was the right-hand man. He was right there. He was standing literally in the door of the tabernacle many times, as the Bible says, witnessing exactly what Moses did. So, I mean, he, he got really good training. He saw firsthand how Moses interacted with the Lord and how Moses had to uh, you know, deal with the, the rebellious people. Also, we see here in verse 6 that God is faithful. He says he's going to give them that land. And God is faithful even when His people are not faithful. That's the reason that God is going to fulfill this promise. He's going to give that land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we, we pretty much devoted the, the entire uh, you know, hour last week to looking at that promise and the fulfillment of that promise. So we don't, we don't need to go into that again. But, but God is faithful. And He's going to see to it that His Word is kept uh, even when you know his people are undeserving of the fulfillment of those promises. Verse number 7, As only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. 
Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So God says, obey my word. And sometimes I like to, in my Bible, underline the word all. All of it. All of it. You don't get to pick and choose. And you know, when I read these verses, and having read them, I couldn't tell you how many times over the last several weeks, I, I, I keep coming back to, you know, uh, kind of my, my paraphrase, you don't get to make up your own rules. God says, I make the rules. And I expect you to abide by them. You don't get to make up your own. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to decide which, you don't get to decide which ones you like and which, which ones you dislike. And he says, turn not from the right hand to the left hand. Stay on task. Stay focused. Don't be distracted. Don't let all of the cares of this world creep in and all the, the gimmicks that everybody has. You know, Joshua one eight is probably one of the more one of the most uh popular verses, you know, that's kind of thrown around in our world today. You know, you can find entire books written on Joshua one eight about the world's, you know, or you know, and many times it's a Somewhat of a hybrid version of success. It's, you know, the Bible's version of success intermingled with what the world's version of success is. And um, there's no shortage of information available about that. But uh, God says you better find out what the biblical definition of success is. And that is according to His Word. You've got to understand God's Word. You've got to know God's Word before you can obey God's Word. And it is hard work. It is difficult sometimes to stay on task and not be distracted and not get pulled in every direction. It it takes, you know, establishing the right priorities and making sure that, that you don't let things interfere. And prosper here means enjoy the blessings of making wise decisions. Uh, you know, certainly in a church like ours where most people have been going to church for many, many years and were raised in... Church, we, we understand that money is certainly not the, the, the big part of what's being discussed here. Certainly, you know, that's all a part of it. That's an aspect of it. But that's not the emphasis here. The emphasis here is spiritual success, which, you know, it's kind of hard to separate the two. I mean, obviously, if you're spiritually successful, you're going to have your financial priorities in order. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that you have to provide for your own. So if you want to please God you want to have a right relationship with the Lord, you're going to provide for your family. So obviously, to some extent, we can't exclude money and material things from this definition of success, but we don't want that to be the focus. That's just a small aspect of success. That's just an outgrowth of of spiritual maturity. God promises them material success, you know, in Deuteronomy and, and in Joshua chapter 23, you know, we've all heard the the spiels by the, the, the televangelists, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna receive wells you didn't dig and olive yards you didn't plant and vineyards you didn't plant and all, and, but that's all true. You know, that certainly was part of God's plan for these people. But the real emphasis is on the Word of God. It's on keeping God's commandments. It's on obeying His Word. And those, those things then become secondary. Verse number 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. 
So again, this book of the law, that's God's word. Meditate. That means to comprehend, understand thoroughly. It's Again, it can be very hard work understanding the Bible. There's, you can never exhaust all that there is to know. You can continue to dig and under, understand more and more meaning of God's Word. Day and night, it's supposed to you know, be integrated with every aspect of our life. Every decision that we make should be based on God's Word. You know, we don't only use God's Word on Sunday or, you know, in certain situations. Um, it's every decision that we make is, you know, we should be coming back and always keeping in mind whether or not we're obeying God's Word. Now, the immediate context here, of course, when, you know, when God is promising Joshua's success is the conquest of the land. Now, that's a seven-year process. But also, it's, it's applicable to the greater context. It's applicable to the entire events of the book of Joshua, even the, the days that follow the, the conquest. God wants them to be successful as they transition from the seven years of battle into just ordinary, everyday life, doing the mundane things. That's what's talked about in the latter chapters of Joshua. The, you know, when, God, when Joshua essentially transfers this this speech that God, these words that God is giving to Joshua, we find repeated almost verbatim in chapters 23 and 24, where Joshua then gives his farewell address to the people and essentially echoes the same sentiment. You know, in Joshua 23, 6 says, Be courageous, be bold, be strong, obey God's word, all of it. And so Joshua sees the great value in that. And, you know, many times. I know I have a tendency sometimes to look too far down the road. I want to be delivered from my present circumstances. Uh, you know, I'm looking more at the destination than the journey. Success is not the destination. It is the journey. God wants us to enjoy life while we're living it. Certainly we have our eyes on eternity and we understand that God has something far better laid up for us. But there's also, you know, we're supposed to experience abundant joy while we're living here on earth. And we should be able to, to do that while we're finding ourselves living our everyday life. There's trials and tribulations that go along with that, but we're still supposed to be able to find comfort and experience success along the way. Um, first, let's see. Turn to Psalm chapter 1. I think Psalm chapter 1 really echoes very well what we see here in Joshua chapter 1. It really kind of, I don't know necessarily so much defines success, but shows us what it looks like. When I was a boy and had to, went to junior boys camp, we memorized this, this psalm. And so I've been fortunate to have it memorized all, all those years. And I can, you know, many times repeat it to myself. We had to learn a verse a day in the week we were at camp. But Psalm chapter 1 very much describes success. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So here we see the description of how the blessed or happy man lives. It lists three things that he doesn't do. We're not going to dig into those in detail, but all three involve being very careful who we let influence us. And... Um, you know, a lot of people today, they don't want to hear anything about what the Bible has to say. You know, somebody was just, I think I was talking to 
Matt Hargis last week, and he was talking about how in the military, you know, they have all these problems with homosexuality, but the thing that you absolutely just cannot do is bring the Bible up. You know, they're willing to listen to your suggestions on how to fix the problem as long as it doesn't involve the Bible. That pretty much limits us as Christians. We're not going to be able to, you know, if we can't bring the Bible into it, then there's no hope. But they, they just refuse to see that. But we've got to be very careful who we let influence us. The Bible has to influence our decision making. So verse number one describes how that happy person lives. But verse number two describes that the, the way that they delight in it. Look at verse number two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. So not just the adherence or the keeping of God's commandments, but the enjoyment of doing so, delighting in doing so. Um, that's so important, you know. Um, you know, as I said earlier, we don't get to make up our own rules. We shouldn't want to make up our own rules. God's way is the best way. I think of that illustration that Pastor gave just a couple of weeks ago. He was explaining how there was a couple of guys at the prison talking, and and you know one of them was was trying to understand you know why Christians do the things that they're doing. And you remember Pastor said another guy that worked at the prison finally said to him. You don't get it. These people like living that way. These Christians like living that way. Well, that's what Psalm chapter 1 verse 2 is talking about. As Christians, we should delight in keeping God's commandments. It shouldn't be a burden. 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous or burdensome. We shouldn't. I try to... You know, over the years, I've tried to re- be careful how sometimes I choose my words when I'm talking to my children. I, I try to refrain from saying, we have to do this. I say, we get to do this. And it, it can make a big difference as to how you present it. You know, we, we get to do this. We get to serve the Lord. We get to go to church. We, you know, those are all privileges. You know, we don't want to, well, you know, we got to do this because we serve an angry and a, you know, a God who just doesn't want us to have any fun. No, that's not the case at all. God wants us to delight in His Word. And He wants us to see that it is, it is given to us to enrich our lives, to make, to make us understand that His way is the best way. And then Psalm chapter 1 verse 3. And He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth His fruit in His season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever He doeth shall prosper. So here we again we have the same word prosper that we have in Joshua chapter 1. And again, in this context, it simply means pleasing God, achieving what God has in store for us. It's not a reference to money, wealth, you know, all of the, the things that, that are really emphasized in the world that we live in. It's being faithful to Him. It's living righteously as this... This chapter, one of verse Psalms of Psalms says many times, it's describing the difference between the ungodly and the righteous. When I think of the ungodly man, lately I keep thinking of Kevin O'Leary. I don't know if many of you recognize that name. Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. I keep watch, I've watched that show a few times and I don't think I've seen the show once where he didn't say, I just love money. And he's unashamed of it. I mean, his covetousness is just, it's out there. And he says, that's what I live for. 
I mean, that's describing the ungodly man in Psalm chapter 1. But by the world's definition, he would be considered a huge success. But God doesn't look at it that way. 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's what I told my children when we were watching the show, right after he said, I love money. I said, you know, that's, that's in stark contradiction to 1 Timothy 6.10. God says we're not to do that. The Bible never condemns money. It's our attitude towards money that the Bible condemns. It's not money itself. Solomon tells us that in Ecclesiastes. He says, you know, a lot of, a lot of burdens are brought on by money, but it's because of the way people handle it or mishandle it. 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. 1 Corinthians 5.11, we are not to keep company with any man that is called a brother who is covetous. Most of us, you know, we, we just, myself included, you know, it's somewhat of a, well, how do we... How do we implement that in our lives? Who of us have ever gone to somebody and says, you know, I really can't, you know, I really shouldn't spend time with you because your life is consumed with covetousness or you're a very covetous person. But yet that's what we're told, that if any man's called a brother who's covetous, we shouldn't keep company with that man. And that's that's just, uh, again, that's that's contrary to... You know, our, really our philosophy as a nation, you know, our, our Americanism. But we also have to be careful that we don't define success simply by what we abstain from or what some people would call the sins of commission, you know, the things that we're not supposed to do. You know, that's kind of the, some, some people that's somewhat the easy, well, you know, I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this, and so therefore I am a successful Christian. But God doesn't, God's attitude is, you, you gotta, you gotta look at it both ways. You have to, you all, God says you also have to define success by what you participate in. You can't just sit on the sidelines all the time. You can't just, you know, uh, turn to the book of Malachi. I just want to look at a couple of examples of that. Malachi. God was dealing with a, a uh, nation who was self-righteous. They were of the opinion, you know, we've got it all together. And God says, you know, God takes great exception to sins of omission. As much so as sins of commission. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. So that right there is the opposite of what is commanded in Joshua chapter 1. God says you've got to observe and keep all of my commandments. You are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. So there's, there's the charge. God says you robbed me. So again, these people are not so much guilty of what they've done, it's they're guilty of what they haven't done. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the store, storehouse, 
that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So God says, you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. And then in verses 11 and 12, God says he will bless them if they will be obedient. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the future fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So again, we don't get to make up our own rules. You know, we, we can't, you know, fall in or, you know, subscribe to the fallacy that somehow debt-free living defines success. If you're not giving to the Lord, God says He takes great exception to that. You know, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 19, we don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus got his financial house in order after he got saved. He essentially said after he got saved that he was going to redefine his, he was going to redefine success. And so he decided that he was going to restore that which he had taken from people that he shouldn't have. And in Matthew chapter 19, the rich young ruler did just the opposite. He refused to submit to God's demands, and so he refused to alter his definition of success. We've got to make sure that our definition of success is consistent with what the Bible has to say. Another example, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul writing to the Corinthians, verses 1 through 3, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Charity there being love. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. So essentially Paul's saying, I can do all of these things, but if they're not done with the right attitude, if they're not done with the right heart, what good does it do? Paul says, I'm not being successful if I don't do everything with the right motives. If I, if my heart is not right with the Lord. So again, the, the, uh, you know, the Pharisees, uh, you know, as I study the scripture, they just seem like such a sad bunch. And yet they were, um, you know, in many ways perceived to be very, very obedient, very much in compliance with God's word. I mean, they certainly themselves thought they were very much in compliance with God's word. But Jesus called them out in the same way that, that Paul is speaking here in verse, in first Corinthians. They, they were just, you know, what, their inward heart didn't match their outward pretense. They just, their heart was wrong. They weren't doing everything with the right motives and, and for the right reasons. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Of course, this is a verse that most of you are familiar with. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, speaking, of, speaking to our heart. 
As every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. So if we're so if we're giving, but we're not giving out of the right kind of attitude or the right heart, we're still not in compliance with God's word. We're still not being obedient. We still are not, as God would call it, successful. Because success is obeying God's word, but God's word also tells us the attitude that our heart should have while we're doing that. Now turn back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And God, or, uh, yeah, God continues here with his encouragement to Joshua. God says, have I not, have not I commanded thee? So, God's reminding him, this is my idea. It wasn't Joshua's idea. It's God's idea that they, you know, again, within the context of this chapter, it's God's idea that they go across the Jordan and conquer the promised land. It's not Joshua's idea. And Joshua most likely I think from his track record, didn't doubt God's ability. But he probably needed this speech of encouragement because he doubted his own ability. I think that's where a lot of us, you know, have that same struggle. We doubt our own ability. And, you know, God is the one that has called us to whatever particular task he's called us to. He will give us the strength to complete it. And so he, you know, he continues here. Have not I commanded thee? Again, the same words. Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So, God expects Joshua to be confident. Not arrogant, not conceited. I mean, not, he doesn't want that of us, but he, we, he expects the same thing of us. He expects us to be confident. If we're acting in accordance with God's word, then isn't it right that we should be confident? Because we're not trusting in our own ability. We're trusting in God's wisdom. I mean, of course, the key there is to make sure that what we're doing is in accordance with his word. And, and again, we have to know God's word in order to be able, in order to, in order to be able to obey God's word. Ezra, I always think of Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. Ezra says, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. Head knowledge wasn't enough. Ezra knew that. Just knowing God's word wasn't sufficient. You had to be able to put it into practice. You had to implement it in everyday decision making, in everyday life. That's what God is commanding Joshua to do here in, in these verses that we're looking at. And Joshua was humble. Uh, he demonstrated humility. The Bible says in James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God will give us the grace to complete the tasks that he, that he has called us to. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians sixteen thirteen. I just want to remind us that the same... Again, that the same instructions that are given to Joshua at this time are repeated to us, are given to us as New Testament believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. 
Paul says, watch ye stand fast in the faith. In the faith, quit you like men. Be strong. I mean, that's that's those are the same sentiment Paul is echoing. Be confident. Be be courageous. Understand that uh, you know that you you can you can do what God has called you to do, but through His power, not your own power. You have to understand God's word in order to be able to do that. All right, we're just about out of time. Does anybody have any anything they want to add or comments or questions or anything? Yes, Glenn. Well, that, that that fits right in because that's one of the things that Joshua was told: be not afraid, be not dismayed. That's that's good. I mean, that's yeah. We need to be reminded of that. 